There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on April the 2nd, 2010. For newcomers, you should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. You'll find hundreds of hours of talks I've given for download for free. And uh, I try to show you the big picture, get you beyond what's just happening today at this very day or what's happening tomorrow or yesterday, that, that kind of thing, and to show you the big picture and how everything works together. But on the website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, you'll see uh, the other official sites I have up there. Bookmark them for future use in case uh, the com goes down, as it sometimes uh, does. It's done it in the past. And that way you can get the latest uh, shows for free. And remember, too, the last one you'll see there is uh, Alan Watt Sentinel.eu. Uh, that's the site for audios, but it also has transcripts for download of a lot of the talks I've given in the past. It's got the same audios as all the rest as well. And remember, you're the audience that bring me to you. I depend upon you to keep me going. Nothing came in today at all, not a penny. And uh, I could easily go with advertisers and be back to the hilt, bring on the guests and, and, and plug whatever they're selling. But I've always tried to stay independent, and that way I'm not responsible to people for what I say. And I, I can be more honest that way. Uh, I, I think you can get compromised. Uh, it's definitely uh, You definitely would become compromised if you have to go with corporations behind you, backing you. So it's up to you, the listeners, to keep me going. The ads you hear on this show, uh, I've got nothing to do with. It's paid. They're paid by the advertisers right to RBN. That pays for this airtime so we can get out to you. It pays for the staff at RBN, and it pays for their bills and for their transmission. So you must help me out, and you can do so by buying the books and discs I have for sale when you go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. From the U.S. to Canada, remember, personal checks are good, as are international postal money orders from your post office. Western Union, cash, MoneyGram, are all accepted to same outside uh, to the rest of the world. You can use, except for personal checks, the rest of the world can't use personal checks. You can use MoneyGram, Western Union. You can use Cash or PayPal. Now, you can use PayPal to donate as well. I, I just trickle by on donations mainly, to be honest with you. And uh, I don't mean big ones either. And uh, you can also use the PayPal button to purchase. Just send a separate email with your order along with the PayPal donation for the order, and I'll get it out to you wherever you happen to live. And for those who get the disc burned of the talks I give and pass to them to play on their CD players, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estere, Ontario, Canada. Estere is E-S-T-A-I-R-E. Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P for Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, the number 1, P3E4N1. Lots of folk have gone off computers. Lots never even started because they knew where they were going. 
and they really are put out there for a form of social control. I might touch on part of that tonight when I go into one of the big corporations that planned it back in the 50s. But um, as I say, I try to show you a bigger picture of the little short lives that we live through and how to show you, I show you that the big foundations, big corporations last much longer than we do. And that's how they can literally alter each generation's lives because they planned it maybe a century before you were even thought of, to be honest with you. They hire and they retire for generations, all working on the same agendas. While we are busy day-to-day just trying to get through life, these characters work full-time on bringing in their brave new world. Back after these messages with more. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix trying to get people to think outside the box and outside their, their, their circumstances. We all live in what I call little circumstances. It's our own personal lives and our lifespans are short, even though sometimes it can seem quite long, especially when you're, you've lived a life of bad news. But, uh, but in reality, they're very, very short. And when you go back into the 1800s even and into the early uh, 1900s, then definitely with the beginning of the 20th century, we find that there were massive organizations already set up uh, using techniques, as they were called back then, techniques, uh, techniques of control and organization. And uh, this was the big sort of mantra for corporates, corporations of that that period, we tend to think they were kind of primitive back then, but they certainly they were not primitive whatsoever. They'd already had world meetings in, in the 1900s and before that even uh, to do with sciences, science fairs in the 1800s, uh, massive things. And it wasn't just science fairs where they showed off the latest gadgetry and weaponry. It was also uh, to do with lectures, that lectures for the weeks that these fairs were on and the corporate leaders of the corporations of that day would attend, and they'd all form clubs. And these these clubs uh, eventually became part of the foundations that rule our lives today. And they reasoned back then that the world they'd bring in would be a very complex world. They couldn't allow uh, different styles or types of society to evolve because literally it would take the power away from those who thought they were fit to manage it and rule it, as they were already doing. And you have to go into books like The Robber Barons to see how how these guys operated. Uh, they were utterly ruthless with competition, and they were incredibly wealthy. They already were putting their own men, corporations were putting their own men in as political leaders, who became presidents and prime ministers uh, back in the 1800s. And that followed through the 1900s to the present day. If you notice, no prime minister or president from any party ever comes in or runs on the ticket that he's going to abolish the corrupt banking system, which really does rule our lives. And it keeps us all in a fixed state, really, of, if not poverty, but not far off it. That's really what most folk live in. Uh, even if they've got all the little cheap goodies that are supplied to us at the moment, which are going to be taken away from us shortly. But 
we we don't realize that um, this is an ongoing operation, very old, uh, to do with the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, its pre- predecessor, uh, the Milner Group, which is comprised of all bankers, international moneylenders. Uh, they're still running it today, at the top, the bankers. And the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, that was really a partnership with Rothschild, and many other foundations. They're all amalgamated, just like corporations do. They amalgamate. And of course, we've watched them also put pressure uh, on governments and train governments, you might say. And they have trained governments. They've trained those who go into government and bureaucrats. They've trained them uh, to amalgamate countries into blocks or unions. Uh, that's what it's all about, just, just like corporate takeovers. And that way, when the whole world is theirs, they will feel quite safe at the top to take it whichever way they wish. And they already have that planned, too. In the 20th century, it was a war. Uh, there was one war after another, really. Uh, not just two major wars. There were many uh, quieter wars. They were called policing actions under the guise of the UN peacekeeping. But when a soldier goes off uh, to fight with weaponry and tanks go in and bombs are dropped, that's still soldiery. So they, they altered the terminology and called it policing. But, but that was a century, really. And we're still in the aftermath of that yet. We're still going through so-called policing actions uh, across the Middle East as they standardize the one system worldwide uh, into the same existing few hands that control the rest of the planet. And as I say, we get caught up in trivia because your whole life long you'll see trivia. Many, much of it seems very important at the time, but really, in the big picture, it's trivia. What we're witnessing today is the fallout and the clashes between different groups and even peoples as the world is transformed and people are are getting pushed from one country to another into the so-called more developed countries. They're flooding in. Naturally, you would, if you were born in some poor country, you'd do the same thing. And this was all envisaged over a hundred years ago that this would happen too with the big uh, foundations that decided they were fittest to rule the world. And they have been doing so. Uh, these foundations are run by the same international corporate owners and bankers uh, that, um, that put their own boys into governments. There's not a single person, as I say, going to come in and stand up in any party and say, look, we really have to change this system. It's totally corrupt. And it's not meant to share wealth at all. It's based on a form of slavery, where it's wage slaves or serfdom. It's all really the same thing. We've simply been better off during the war phases of it because you have to spoil the country a little bit, spoil the peasantry, allow them to have a little bit more cash in their pockets to spend on goods, or they wouldn't be all fighting for you and being taxed to the gills to fight these wars. Now that it's almost over, you're seeing all the goodies being taken away, especially the right to travel. Now, back in the 70s, I saw this happening. I can remember articles appearing in newspapers across Europe, across Europe, uh, again from the Council on Foreign Relations that were always having their, their, their biannual meetings and, or sometimes six meetings a year in different parts of the world. And immediately the media would announce uh, projections for the future to do with a society that eventually would not be so mobile. And back then they were talking about the obsolete automobile, etc. And at the same time, I should think about totalitarian systems that already existed at that time, such as the Soviet Union. 
or China, where you couldn't travel anywhere without permission. Travel was severely restricted, and you couldn't just buy an automobile. You might be on the waiting list for five to ten years. You had to go apply for everything via government departments, even your telephone. So communication was also restricted. And I thought, well, everything has to do with perception, because you can be convinced to go into slavery uh, for good ends if, the, if it's put across to you in such a way. If they can convince you by simply feeding you from birth enough data, which is one-sided, you will go along with whatever they plan that you go along with. And that includes uh, living in these little um, so-called human habitat areas, which are really just crowded cities, uh, without the right to travel, for the good of the planet, of course. And... I lived through the first oil shortage scam, and it was a scam. There was no oil shortage whatsoever. Uh, what it was was a, a huge test, in a sense, and of course massive takeovers of various oil companies, to, uh, of, of the lesser ones, it just took them over. But also at that time, even in Britain, uh, the government immediately had all these ration cards for your gasoline, even if you had a motorbike. And you didn't need them because no one, no, no gas station ever asked for them. There was no shortage of oil whatsoever. But they were testing out a system on the public, and many organizations were involved, the Rand Corporation and all the rest of them, observing this to see if the public would panic and what would happen. Sure enough, there'd be lineups at certain garages as once the, the news was, was released to the public. Oh, there's going to be a gas shortage. And uh, they never ran out of oil, uh, gasoline. None of the garages ran out of gasoline because of it. But it was a huge experiment to see how we behave and react to news. And at the time, too, it helped to introduce the topic of, well, what happens in a future world if we don't have gasoline? And so on, and so on, and so on. This was all part of the Royal Institute of International Affairs strategy for, poly, uh, for, for fuel uh, in the future. Because they planned to bring in a society where you wouldn't, they wouldn't have public or private transportation. If you look at their, or, their other organization, the United Nations, and yet that's who owns it, it's the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They set it up and, and they, they make sure they rule it. Uh, the UN has already said that the world they're bringing in uh, with these habitat areas will be a world where there will be no private transportation. That's in Agenda 21 put out by the United Nations. It'll be, it'll be public transportation only. But what they didn't tell you, it'll also be authorized uh, uh, movements only. Because you will be assigned to your own little area for your communitarianism and for what you do in communitarianism, whatever you're appointed to do in the so-called sustainable society. That's the world they're bringing in. And you generally, what they generally do by observing it and experimenting with the Soviet Union uh, is that they introduce um, it to the youngest, of course, first of all. You can tend to bypass the, the older ones. Those up to about 20, 25 can still generally be brought under the new ideas. Uh, the older ones, it gets harder once they're 35. So you just dismiss them all together. They'll die off. And uh, the young ones will grow up thinking that this new system is all quite natural. And they'll parrot off all the reasons why they have to live the way they do without transportation and, and, and so on. What I'm, I'm telling you is you're living through a script. 
And there are people out there, truly out there, who truly believe that they're free, that they're free and they're well-informed. These are the totally brainwashed people who haven't had the shock yet of seeing the enormity of the powers and interlocking foundations and think tanks and workshops that go on all the time, the top managerial classes from all industries and sciences that rule your lives. They can't quite get that. They still think that everybody's competing with everyone else for business and uh, and that somehow we have say in something and that government would step in if it was something to our detriment that was coming down the pike. They still don't really get it at all. So we're talking about some of that tonight when I come back from this break. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Talking about how really we've been guided by unseen forces, the media generally stays clear of the big international meetings and the foundations and all their think tanks. They don't say much about them at all. Even when they have the big meetings like the the Bilderberger groups and so on, the richest people on the planet getting together to decide their, their future and make sure they stay at the top top of the totem pole, uh, they, they generally don't mention much about it, really, except that it happened, a meeting was held by very wealthy people. And that's how the world is really run. But it's even worse than that because they're using techniques and scientific techniques upon all of the people and were trained from birth to see a particularly um, pre-designed way of the world so that we grow up into it and the changes that are already planned to happen, we adapt to those changes because we expect them to happen because we're programmed for it, you see, and we accept it in, in the, the way it desired. It's all behaviorism. Here's a, uh, an article about the Rees Committee, and I've read uh, about, uh, this before um, from uh, Norman Dodd and so on, who attended the Rees Committee, and that's back in the 1950s, remember, where the, the a commission was set up by the Congress to investigate the tax-exempt foundations, initially because they wondered why uh, these incredibly, really the richest people in America were funding what seemed to be communist movements within America and across the world. And Norman Dodd was put in charge of, of one section of this investigation, and he talked to the heads, the CEOs of the foundations, who told them that they, they took their orders right from the White House. That's what they, they claimed. And they said that their job was to make sure that the culture and society, the entire societal culture, remember, that's everything that you think you are and, and, and have been, in the U.S. and Europe would change so drastically that they could blend the Soviet system seamlessly with it, without any problems, without a ripple. Well, that has happened. I've lived through that phase. And it was so staggering at the time, even the congressman found it. Uh, uh, and well, what do you do? Do you go to the top, the richest people in your own country who run and own the military-industrial complex? Do you go to them and complain? They'd crash you overnight if they wanted to. 
But here's an article about that from Old Thinker News, and it's from July the 1st, 2008. And I'll put these links up, remember, under the audio section um, of tonight's shows, uh, and you can check them out for yourself and copy them and keep them because uh, who knows how long we'll, we'll be able to use the, the Internet and get things we want. Don't just save links. It'll save the articles if you can. It says, the Rees Committee, social science is a tool for control. Social science, you see, it was already so well established, long before the 50s even. It's by Daniel Taylor. In 1954, the Rees Committee, chaired by Carol B. Rees, produced its findings regarding the influence of tax-exempt foundations in the field of education. The report also briefly mentions their influence in politics, propaganda, social sciences, and the international affairs. The Rockefeller Foundation, Ford Foundation, Carnegie Foundation, and others were discussed during the committee hearings. There's many, many more they, they, they visited too. And we've got lots added to it since then. You've got the Gates Foundation and the Soros Foundation and all these guys, all working together, having their inter-foundational meetings to make sure they're all on board with the same agenda. It says the Rees Committee was smeared by the media and by John D. Rockefeller III himself as being wholly inaccurate, but historical hindsight gives us a perspective that shows that the committee found what it, what it found is far closer to the truth than Rockefeller would have you believe. A predominant theme found in the committee's findings is a desire of the foundations and those behind them to create a system of world governance, and they called it governance. The use of propaganda and social engineering was identified as a means to an end to achieve this goal. In 1932, the president of the Rockefeller Foundation, Max Mason, stated that the social sciences will concern themselves with the rationalization of social control. They didn't believe in a democratic system, you see, and with people having rights. They believed in a scientific control of the public by experts and specialists, because they worked with the Fabian Society and the other organizations already well underway in this field in Britain. The committee cited a report from the President's Commission on Higher Education, published in 1947, which outlines the goals of social engineering programs, the realization on part of the people of the necessity of world government, psychologically, socially, and politically, the cited report states in speed of transportation and communication and in economic interdependence. Economic interdependence. 1947. That means you're all bound to the rest of the world through economics. The nations of the globe are already one world. That's what they said in 1947. The task is to secure recognition and acceptance of this oneness in the thinking of the people as that the concept of one world may be realized psychologically, socially, and in good time politically. Well, that's all happened. It is this task in particular that challenges our scholars and teachers to lead the way towards a new way of thinking, a new way of thinking. That's social engineering, you see. There is an urgent need for a program for world citizenship that can be made a part of every person's general education. That was already done, and you were all born into it well underway. Back after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, reading from the old thinker news to do with the foundations. A very good article, and remember, I'll put these artic- these links up on my site at the end of the show. So it goes on to say here, this is from what they, what they were told, uh, the actual investigative uh, people were told by the heads of these foundations. It will take social science and social engineering to solve the problems of human relations. Our people must learn to respect the need for special knowledge and technical training in this field, as you've come to defer, defer, remember, to the expert in physics, chemistry, medicine, and other sciences. Now remember that Russell, who also worked with them, uh, talks about uh, bringing in a world of experts and scientists, a scientific tyranny, he called it, which he preferred to any other kind of tyranny. Rini A. Wormser who also was on this committee, is the author of the book Foundations, Their Power and Influence, served as counsel for the committee. Worms are discussed an investigation of the social sciences on part of the foundations, such as the Rockefeller and Carnegie Foundations, and the influence that they wield. And they give you parts of uh, his testimony to the committee. Um, it says here, Mr. Wormser, Professor, back to the term social engineering again. Is there not a certain presumption or presumptionist on the part of social scientists to consider themselves a group of the elite who are solely capable and should be given the sole opportunity to guide us in our social development? They exclude by inference, I suppose, religious leaders and what you might call humanistic leaders. They combine the tendency towards the self-generated social engineering concept with a high concentration of power in that interlocking arrangement of foundations and agencies, and it seems to me you might have something rather dangerous. That came out of the committee as well. And it lists the, the various organizations that were involved with the Rockefeller Foundation's investigation of the social sciences. Also identified were other organizations such as the Council on Foreign Relations, which have been instrumental in crafting globalist policy. That's just the American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Since when the Rockefeller Foundation turned to the social sciences and the humanities as the means to advance the well-being of humanity, the section entitled Social Sciences in the annual report was set up under the following headings, which remained unchanged until 1935. General social science projects, cooperative, cooperative undertakings, research in fundamental disciplines, interracial and international studies, current social studies, research in the field of public administration, because you see all the big public administrators have been trained through these foundations. I hope you realize that. And all your educational um, heads too. Fundamental research and promotion of certain types of organization, fellowships in the social sciences. The report states that the arrangement was for the purpose of simplification and in order to emphasize the purpose for which appropriations have been made. In the decade 1929 to 1938, the Foundation's grants to social science projects amounted to $31.4 million. Now that's, that would be in the billions today with inflation. 
and grants were made to such agencies as the Brookings Institution, the Social Science Research Council, the National Research Council, the Foreign Policy Association and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Institute of Pacific Relations in this country as well as a dozen or more in other countries and the Fiscal Committee of the League of Nations which became the United Nations. Now the Institute for Pacific Relations was part of the Council on Foreign Relations uh, under disguise. And its job back then, 1928-38, was to set up the system for intergenerational absorption of the Far East into one block with China, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and so on coming underneath it. Back then, 29-38. A campaign to smear the Rees Commission began shortly after it was released. John D. Rockefeller III himself responded to the findings of the committee flatly denying that the Rockefeller Foundation or any of the organizations that it gave money to has ever advocated world government. What he said then was if the expression one world theories of government means anything, it means world governments. No shred of evidence is presented in the report to show that the Rockefeller Foundation or any of the organizations to which it has made grants has advocated world government. That was on page 1104. With the advantage of the historical hindsight, this claim from Rockefeller is easily debunked. In reality, the Rockefeller family has, from a very early date, promoted globalism and world government, which today is almost a reality. The following are a few examples of Rockefeller influence over the past several decades. Programs of social engineering designed to climatize the people to globalist policy and goals, combined with pushes for global governance, have been pushed on the American people for almost 100 years. You understand when you try and get through to people and you see that blank state, well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? That's what you hear. Because you see, they, they are the totally brainwashed and they have been through the education system and really from the time they've been born. Anything can be made to appear normal if you've been brainwashed from birth. They started, too, with the inter-church world movement. One of the early projects of the Rockefeller family was the inter-church world movement. Started in 1919, John D. Rockefeller Jr., the son of John D. Rockefeller III, founded the IWM. Charles E. Harvey, professor of history at California State University, wrote a history of the inter-church world movements in a 1982 paper titled John D. Rockefeller Jr. and the Inter-Church World Movement 1919-1920. A different angle on the ecumenical movement, the, the IWM goal was to consolidate the churches, consolidation, right, into a single organization that would control the direction of the churches as a whole. The IWM, in Rockefeller's own words, had a globalist slant. He writes, I don't think we can overestimate the importance of this movement. As I see it, it is capable of having a much more far-reaching influence than the League of Nations in bringing about peace, contentment, goodwill, and prosperity among the people of the earth. Now, you have to understand what they mean by their own definitions of peace, contentment, goodwill and prosperity among the people of the earth. Because remember, in the League of Nations Charter, they talked about, right from the, from, the, from the Marxist doctrine, by the way, which they also ran, both sides, the, the, the sharing of wealth. It also meant that the, the richer countries would have to pay the poorer countries, which is happening now under the climate scam. They could use any scam will do to get the same agenda through, you see. And remember, too, that they tried the same thing with the international world 
uh, churches movement back in the 1800s. They had meetings then in England at the Science Fair and also in Chicago, one in the late 1800s as well. I have the books, by the way, that came out of that at the time. To use millions of people that would all be taught the same gradually over a generation ideas, changing ideas of what they believed in the religion and making sure that the the uh, preachers were taught from the same standard books to preach this kind of stuff, to, uh, to allow the global governments to come in. A revealing letter written by Rockefeller himself showed that he saw a potential for ensured stability by gaining control over the churches. I know of no better insurance for a businessman for the safety of his investments, the prosperity of the country and the future stability of our government than this movement affords. A later organization, the Federal Council of Churches, also highlights Rockefeller's investment in the world government promoting organizations. And what they, what they advocated back in 1942 is reported in Time magazine, by the way. Here's their goals. They said, um, these are the high spots of organized U.S. Protestantism's super-Protestant new program for a just and durable peace after World War II, published in 1942 during the war. Ultimately, a world government of delegated powers. That's what World War II was for, to bring it in. Complete abandonment of U.S. isolationism. Strong immediate limitations on national sovereignty. International control of all armies and navies. Has to be under the UN. A universal system of money, that was the IMF that we're hearing about right now. So planned as to prevent inflation and deflation. Worldwide freedom of immigration. You see the mess in Britain right now as all the poor uh, people from uh, Europe are flooding in there. Progressive elimination of all tariff and quota restrictions on world trade. And you see all of Latin America is slowly flooding the state. Yes, not just Mexico. That's coming to, according to Jack's tally. Autonomy for all subjects and colonial peoples with much better treatment of, as it says here, foreign Negroes in the U.S. That's what they said. No punitive reparations, no humiliating decrees of war guilt, no arbitrary dismemberment of nations. A democratically controlled international bank to make, that was the World Bank, to make development uh, capital available in all parts of the world without the predatory and imperialistic aftermath so characteristic of large-scale private and government loans. No, this one is to be much worse. The program was adopted last week by 375 appointed representatives of 30-odd denominations called together at Ohio Wesleyan University by the Federal Council of Churches. Remember, too, later they changed the name to the World Council of Churches. Everybody gets used in a group, you know. Everybody gets used. But I'm going to put this link up and you can read through it for yourself because there's a lot of information and you've got to understand what's been happening, where the ideas you take for granted all came from, who who, who brainwashed you into them. And you'll realize you're living through a script. Nothing more or less than a script. And remember, these Rockefellers and so on, the great philanthropists, were the most cutthroat businessmen of their period. They were robber barons. They blew up competitors' oil wells. They had an army, a, a literal private army of uh, thugs. 
And the idea of a world is one which the elite, they themselves, the natural ones at the top, according to themselves, the natural predators should rule the rest. That's what it's all about. And it still is today. And the planned society with massive takedown of the population rate. And there's also an article from Spike magazine. I'll put up as well. It's called Burying Malthus to Save, Save Malthusianism. Uh, the Rockefeller is a great proponent of Thomas Malthus and his ideas for killing off the inferior types of people across the planet. And there's, art, there's even Google videos of Mr. Rockefeller, the later ones. He's, what, 94 or 5 now? Uh, talking about the need to, to bring down the populations drastically. They've never changed their tune for a 100 years, that family. And this article here is basically the new tactic. They're showing, they're exposing in an article the tactic now used by a lot of the Greenies because, see, the Green movement really is simply part of the same movement funded by the guys like the Rockefeller. And they used to be called, uh, um, they wanted depopulation and they changed themselves to the environmental movement, to use that as an excuse. Then Malthusianism uh, came back into vogue with their ideas, got a bad rap again, and so their idea is now to pretend as Greenies to attack Malthus. And there's a book out now where that starts to attack him three quarters of the way through it and then comes back with other parts. Well, couldn't we revive this part and that part and that part? You know, it's, it's a it's a beautiful way of mind bending you uh, under the guise that they're really against Malthus and at the same time they save Malthus at the end. But Spike Magazine is an, an excellent article and, and a, a good expose of this technique to show you how it's done. I'll put this link up as well. Now in CNS News. CNSN, I should say, um, talking about uh, totalitarian systems and how they always limit your travel. Uh, it's amazing how beautifully it worked with 9-11, uh, the beginning of the new century, the century of change was 2001, according to science, because the debates at the year 2000 or 2001, 2001 it was, kicked off by terrorism, they said. They needed that terrorism so badly to kick it off, or maybe it wouldn't have changed, eh? And um, in comes Bush to do the totalitarian stuff, uh, bring in the, the internal armies that are built up and sections of them to deal with the riots that are expected and to take away everybody's rights. And then I, I said to, before Obama came in, they'll, they'll bring Obama in and then he'll do the left-wing tactic and actually implement the, the, it all and take the, the last year rights away from you because they want to keep this left-right nonsense going, you see. So they can get a right-wing in after this. Here's an article from the guy that's been put in charge, the transportation uh, uh, head of the U.S. Well worth reading, March 24, 2010. It says, this is the end of favoring motorized transportation at the expense of non-motorized. Secretary Ray LaHood, now who is he? He's been put in charge of all transportation and its implementation. And remember, its implementation is more important uh, in the U.S. Transportation Secretary Ray LaHood has announced that federal transportation policies will no longer favor motorized transportation, such as cars and trucks, over non-motorized transportation, such as walking and bicycling. I read an article from the CFR in the 70s about this too, how they'd bring it into the West. It'd be a hard slog to bring it in, but they would achieve it. Well, it's coming, folks. 
And it's not coincidence it's coming when they're already closing pretty well all the plants in the U.S. to produce cars. There's no coincidence. Everything's timed, do you understand? Everything you will experience in life is timed right on cue and planned an awful long time ago. Lahoud signed the new policy directive on March the 11th, the same day he attended a congressional reception for the National Bike Summit, a convention sponsored by a bicycling advocacy group, probably funded by the Rockefellers too, the League of American Bicyclists. Lahoud publicly announced his agency's new direction four days later in a posting on his blog, Fast Lane, the official blog of the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, where he effusively described it as a sea change for the United States. Today I want to announce a sea change. He wrote, people across America who value bicycling should have a voice when it comes to transportation planning. This is the end of favoring motorized transportation at the expense of non-motorized. This policy statement not only calls for this change to take place in programs funded by the federal government, but also said the federal government would encourage state and local governments to do the same in their own programs. And it goes on and on and on. All coming down. All coming down. And what you have to really do understand too, if you want to understand what really is going on, you got to look at this, these interconnecting think tanks and the military-industrial complex that all work together. Because you see, they're all really owned by the same people who own the, the think tanks and they own the foundations, and they own the non-governmental organizations that are pressure groups. They own the lobby groups. They own the politicians. And this is, this is to do with IBM, and you have to go, really go into to the histories of these companies. But this article here is from siliconrepublic.com. IBM... The guys who came out with the idea of how to categorize work, uh, what they called workers for their um, IG farming company under the Nazi system, they ended up with tattooing them and gave us the different cards and they came out with the computer. It's now going into smart grid for electric cars. Total control over cars. Back with more after this break. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. They always test out, and people don't realize this too, that everything that's applied to the world now is tested out in certain areas, either cities or countries, uh, or, or parts of a country, before it's let loose on the rest of the world. They work out the problems, including the reactions of the general public and how to overcome them, for instance. But this article here is about IBM to build a smart grid for electric cars. That's total control. The smart grid, remember, is to control all of us in every possible way. And so it's, it says they're, they're working with a Danish research group to build a smart grid that will support electric cars market introduction and investment plans under the Edison as electric vehicles in a distributed market using sustainable energy and open networks. Pool. And Denmark will result in upwards of 10% of the country's vehicles being all electric or hybrid electric during the coming years. Now, you all know that they're going to really cripple you with, with fees uh, for using gasoline uh, vehicles only. That's already been announced here in Canada. Look at you off the road one way or another. This whole Copenhagen Treaty thing is just a show. All this stuff was planned long before the, 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 the show treaty. Long before it. Nothing was going to stop it from coming in. 
in order to minimize carbon emissions linked to electrical transport, global attention on vehicles and infrastructure that will maximize the use of renewable energy for uh, mobility has increased. So they're going to test this out where the first step of the consortium is to develop smart technologies to implement it on the Danish island of Bornholm, designed to function as a test bed. The island has 40,000 inhabitants and an energy infrastructure characterized by a large proportion of wind energy. So they've already set it up with wind energy, you see. This is for the model habitats it's for the future. Creating a test bed on the island will allow researchers to study how the energy system functions as the number of electric vehicles increases. The studies will be simulation-based and will be, have no impacts on security of supply on the island. Within the project, researchers from IBM Denmark and from IBM's Zurich Research Laboratory will develop smart technologies that synchronize the charging of the, of the vehicles with the availability of wind in the grid. Electric vehicles are one of the technologies we can use to incorporate renewable energy into transportation, said the Danish Minister of Climate and Energy. Well, of course you'll say that because he's the Minister of Climate and Energy and he knows who he works for, Connie Hedegaard. But it's also to do with billing and, and all, this, all the rest of it too. And remember too, the guys who can switch you on can switch you off. That's called incredible control, folks. I hope you understand that. Incredible control. What a world we're in now. Planned long before you or I were born, or your parents were born, and your grandparents were born. There's like a long-range business plan and implementations. Remember what Lenin said and what Beria, the head of the NKVD, said in the Soviet system back in the 1930s? It used to take 70 years to alter the perceptions of a generation, to train them into any new way of thinking. He said, now, in 1934, we can do it every five years through the schooling system, through scientific indoctrination. Well, guess what? They can update the children from year to year now, through kindergarten onwards, to accept all of this. And I think it's all quite natural that they live under the total control of experts and scientists with no choices that they can make for themselves. And they'll simply work and produce as long as they're needed. If they're not needed, there will be no excess population. That's also going to be mandatory as well. Lots of articles in that too. From Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's goal with you.